And they told David, uh, saying, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against uh, Keilah and are plundering the threshing floor. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and deliver Keilah. But David's men said, uh, But David's men said to him, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more than if we go to Keilah against the ranks of the Philistines? And David inquired of the Lord once more, and the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. So David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines, and he led away their livestock and struck them with a great slaughter. <coughs> Thus David delivered the inhabitants of Keilah. Now it came about when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled David to Keilah, that he came down with an ephod in his hand. When it was told Saul that David had come to Keilah, David, or Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand, for he shut himself in by entering a city with double gates and barns. So Saul summoned all the people for war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. Now David knew that Saul was plotting evil against him. So he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord, God of Israel, your servant has heard for certain that Saul is seeking to come to Keilah to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Keilah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down just as your servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, He will come down. Then David said, Will the men of Keilah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will surrender you. Then David and his men, about six hundred, arose and departed from Keilah, and they went wherever they could go. When it was told Saul that David had escaped from Keilah, he gave up the pursuit. David stayed in the wilderness in the stronghold and remained in the hill country in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul saw him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. So David finds out that the Philistines are plundering the city of Keilah. Now, David's got plenty on his plate. He's got Saul trying to kill him on a daily basis. But he inquires of God what? Yeah, should I go and attack the Philistines and try to get them uh, away from Keilah? And what does the Lord tell David? Yes, do that. So I like the fact that David is thinking about the well-being of another city and not just himself. And I like the fact that he doesn't just decide, well, I think I need to go do this. He asks God. He's dependent on God's will. He waits for what the Lord wants. And the Lord says, yes. Well, his men, how do they react? They are afraid. You know, uh, this doesn't sound like a good idea to them. So what did David do in verse 4? He asked the Lord again, and the Lord confirmed that he wanted David and his men to go deliver Keilah, which is the thing that convinces the men. You know, that's the thing to do. Show them again, this is the Lord's will. This is the thing that must be done. And so, David and his men go to Keilah, fight the Philistines, and slaughter them and deliver the inhabitants of Keilah. So, David did the kingly thing. He protected this Israelite city and, and delivered them from the Philistines. Remember again, that was what God originally intended for Saul to do, was to destroy the Philistines. But who's doing it now? It's David, who's really been doing it for Saul even uh, earlier. 
Well, so David's in Keilah. That would be a walled city. Being in a walled city is a mixed blessing. It offers protection. The walls were for protection, but it also doesn't leave you any way to escape. You know, pretty much you guard the door, and nobody can go in or out. And so Saul finds out David's in Keilah, and look at what Saul says in verse 7. God has delivered him into my hand, for he shut himself in by entering a city with double gates and bars. What do you think about that? Was God delivering David into Saul's hand? Sometimes we can attribute something to God that's not true. God had no intention of Saul being able to kill David and Keilah. That was not what God was doing. It might have looked like that to, to Saul. It was mostly wishful thinking on his part, I think. But if, if I look at circumstances and I say, well, this and this and this are happening, I know what God's doing. God's doing this. Well, if what I decide God's doing is the exact opposite of his will, that's a pretty good idea that it wasn't God doing that. I mean, take something, I mean, this, is, this would happen in real life. You know, you've got a guy with a really miserable marriage and some woman moves in and, and starts working at the office and she's just everything he wishes his wife were and you know she's just wonderful and she's a great Christian lady and you know whatever and uh, she's got a terrible marriage too and so he, he starts realizing well this is God you know God brought her to me because he wants me to have a happy marriage and, and a loving family and all this and, and I know God wants me to divorce my wife and marry her because here's what God's doing well, now, we can see through that, can't we? You know, would God be promoting the very opposite of what he teaches in his word? That's just me wanting something and justifying it by saying that it's what God wants and does as well. That's what Saul's doing. It's an easy thing to do. It's not that we should not give God the credit for the things that he does do. Every good and perfect gift comes from God is that we shouldn't blame God for our sinful ideas. They weren't from God. And so Saul's trying to make this sound good. It's amazing to me that Saul would even think God would ever think that. How, why would Saul imagine God would want him to kill David after everything that's gone on? But that's what he thinks. Comments or questions to this point? Roger. Uh, opposite to David, when he requires God to know his will, um, and, and I think... You know, a lot of times we take, it's a lot harder to study God's word, pray about it. Um, uh, that's a lot harder than just, oh, look at all these cool circumstances. God must be doing something. You know, it's like, but I don't know what it is, but it looks like that's what God wants. Instead of really just studying God's word, praying about it, and waiting on God to answer our prayers, and for us to figure out what God's will is and do it. That's a great point. It's a great way to express this. That what we really need to see is that just projecting my thinking on God is not the right thing. I, if I want to know what's God's will, I don't think, you know, I thought about this. And I believe God wants this. That's not how you decide what God wants. You decide what God wants by what he's revealed, by what he said. 
That's the only way to know. Otherwise, we're just dreaming what God would want. We need to trust the Lord's word and his will. That's what David does. He asks God. What Saul does is he just decides on his own what God's trying to do. <coughs> and when we make up what we think God wants, it ends up being what we want. <laughs> yeah, we do have a habit of doing that, don't we? Yeah, good point. Yes, uh, Nathan. Um, you know, I think at the end of chapter 22, when David gets the news of what's happened to those priests, he's had a little <laughs> bit of a wake-up call. Because it seems like at this point he kind of changes pace and starts taking his time and looking to God. And I, I was going to kind of suggest that, you know, it, it's always good when you wake up when, and when you've gone too far and messed up and you've gotten off track. Uh, but I, I hope we can wake up before things get that bad and before we cause that much issues in our lives and the lives of the people we love. But you see that pattern in David's life. He will drift away from seeking the Lord's will, start doing things his own way, and then God will pull the rug out from under him and he'll turn back to God and start seeking God again. I've seen that happen in my own life, too. Uh, he actually took what I was going to say. I think it's a good example for us to, you know, that David, he, he saw the error of his ways, and then he made every effort to turn around, and he made a complete and total transformation in the opposite direction, where now he's inquiring every single thing that he does, he asks of God. Yes. The right thing to do, and thank God he did see that, and he learned that lesson. I think it's possible here. I wouldn't expect Saul to expect anything from God after killing all his priests and everything else that's going on. But he also knew that God was with David. And I think it's a possibility here that Saul is insulting God or saying, Ha, your God led you right into my trap. And God has delivered delivered him into my hand. That's, uh, that's an interesting reading. So, and then he also, because he says he shut himself in a city, you know, and David has done it himself, even with, even with that God of his. Because at other times, Saul kind of knew where he stood with God when he started making excuses even before he was told, what he had done wrong. Yeah, one thing I might say about that is, don't we? We, sh we never would assume that men without God are totally rational in their thinking. Sometimes they're sort of schizophrenic about these kind of things. But maybe so. That's an interesting approach, John. I was kind of thinking on the same line, but maybe that that statement was in public and it was more of like a rallying the troops thing to get everybody going after David. So several different approaches we could take to that. Um, well. David finds out that Saul is coming down, and his approach is to ask for the ephod. Probably the Urim and the Thummim that were contained in the ephod where you could inquire of God. And so he asks God for help. Will the men of Keilah surrender me? Verse 11. Will Saul come down? Please answer. And the Lord said, he'll come down, and they will surrender you. Think about that for a moment. What does that tell you about the men of Keilah? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. You know, David delivered them from the Philistines, but if they have to confront Saul on the warpath, they're willing to just, uh, you know, sacrifice David to save their own skin. He seemed pretty selfish and ungrateful. On the other hand, I don't know if I'd want to confront Saul on the warpath. I can understand their feeling. But it's still uh, kind of sad that they are uh, willing to uh, deliver up David so as not to hide a royal fugitive. 
You really don't want to get on Saul's bad side at this point in his career, do you? Yeah, good point. So, David then and his men escape. Now, I think this is interesting. David asked, will Saul come down? Yes. Will the men of Keilah deliver you? Yes. Some people would have then said, okay, Saul's going to come down and he's going to kill that, That's what the Lord said. But what David does, he doesn't have a fatalistic attitude. He doesn't take a passive attitude. Well, that's what's going to happen, so that's what's going to happen. He knows that's what would happen. God says that's what would happen. But, but David recognizes he has the responsibility then of fleeing. If that's what's going to happen, then he needs to get away. And that's what he does. You know, sometimes we try to hit God's sovereignty versus man's responsibility. And sometimes we'll do that in a way like, well, God said this, so we'll just, we'll do anything. You know, God said he's going to give us our daily bread. No, he intends for us to be active. There's a good, there's several good books in the book of Acts. Several. But, but here's one of them that I remember at the moment. Do you remember when God appeared to Paul in a dream and said, that all the people on the ship would be spared that was in the storm that was going to suffer shipwreck on that island. A little later, the sailors almost managed to get off into the lifeboat and cut it away so they could escape that would have left the ship without any sailors to help guide them into the shore. That would have been fatal. And, and instead of Paul saying, well, God said he's going to save us all. David, or Paul, he intervened. He told the soldiers, hey, these guys are getting in the lifeboat. We're goners if they do that. And they, the soldiers just cut off the lifeboats. I'm not sure that's what Paul had in mind. I don't know. But does God spare all the people on the ship? Yes. But did he expect, did he intend for Paul not to say anything or do anything and just kind of wait around for God to do it? No. When God promises things, it doesn't mean we shouldn't be acting. It doesn't mean we shouldn't respond. And so David does the proper thing. He flees from Keilah. And now so much for Saul saying, God's delivered him into my hand. And David stays in the wilderness. And Saul keeps chasing him, keeps seeking him. And God keeps delivering him and allowing him to escape. Comments and questions on this section? <laughs> um, I can see parallels you know, in Christ's life here with, uh, with David and his life as the, the, the kings, and it seems to me you have a people here who are turning against their savior. I mean, he just rescues them, and they're willing to betray him. It's reminds me of, of the Jews at Jesus' trial, who are willing to just sell him over and give him up. Um, yeah, good point. Roger. Yeah, I think I've often used that excuse to excuse myself from doing what God really wants me to do. I just go, well, well, I prayed about it, and well, and God is going to take care of it, and you know, God is going to do something about it. But, but in reality, I think God a lot of times is saying, "Well, if you prayed about it, then you go do something about it." Yeah. We trust in God. God's the one who gives us our daily bread, but not independent of our doing what we can in working. And it's true with so many things like that. We shouldn't take this view that if God's acting, then we should act. Uh, it's not true. We should act in accordance with his will, but we should act. 
Yeah. That's the interesting here in verse 14 that no amount of diligence can produce success without it being the Lord's will. Yeah. It takes another thinker. As soon as I think that, well, you know, it's not the best thing, but it's really hard, and it'll play half if I try hard. Well, if the Lord's will is in it, then I'm good. Saul was really trying pretty hard on this one. It wasn't working. Stephen. It is also interesting now in verse 13 is like when he hears that they escaped, he's like, oh well. <laughs> you know, and he gives up the pursuit right there. I mean, but he, then he keeps seeing it going. So. Yeah, good point. Other thoughts? Uh, Seth? Eli's sons were still alive when the nameless men of God and when Samuel both came to him and said, your sons are not what they were supposed to be. Eli had the choice to be able to either try to help his sons, but instead Eli said, he's the Lord, let the Lord do what, he, what he's going to do. Eli essentially sat in the city and waited for the destruction to come. It's the exact opposite of what they did. So good point. God provides for us, but he also provides the pathway to what he's providing. We have to make that path. Exactly. That's a good way to express it. Roger. Other comments? Like 15 to 18? Then David became aware that Saul had come out to seek his life, while David was in the wilderness of Zephyrish. Jonathan saw some arose in which David and Elish encouraged him and God. Thus he said to him, Do not be afraid, because the hand of Saul my father will not find you, and you will be the king over Israel, and I will be next to you, and Saul my father will also. So the two of them made a covenant for the Lord, and David said that Horish and Jonathan went to his house. So Saul's trying to kill David, can't find him. Who does find him? Jonathan. Isn't that ironic? You know, Saul and the whole army can't find David, but Jonathan manages to. And Jonathan encourages David in God in verse 16. I love that expression and that attitude. Jonathan is not just a loyal friend to David. He's a friend that helps him turn to the Lord and trust in the Lord and be strengthened in God. That's exactly what we need to do. We need to be friends in the true sense where we're encouraging our friends to trust in God. One of the things that is an important subject to me is that we take our one another time and use it to edify and encourage and strengthen each other in the Lord. You could talk with anybody about the weather about politics, about sports, about your job, and things like that. You can't talk to anybody and be encouraged and strengthened in the Lord. What a shame if we waste the majority of our one another time on things we can talk about with anybody. What a blessing when Jonathan finds David and they don't reminisce about old times the whole time, or just chat about the logistics of David's fleeing the whole time, or whatever. Jonathan strengthens David and God. That's what we need to be doing with each other. That we need to use. When you're, you know, you've got one more night here, many of you, and you're going to be with other brothers and sisters. You're going to spend half the night up talking about nothing? 
Or are you going to really try to use what time you have with each other to try to be a blessing to one another? That's what we really need to do. And that, that makes for such a much better friendship. And then it's even better when we look at verse 17 and we recognize Jonathan just explicitly says, you're going to be the king over Israel, and I'll be next to you. He wasn't right about uh, the I'll be next to you part. That's what he's hoping for. But he is right about David being the king, and that's his conviction. And, and he rejoices in that. And they make a covenant together. Jonathan is very willing to forego his destiny for David to become the next king. Comments and questions on this stuff? Yes? It really is, yes. Very good. <laughs> so do you see that what was encouraging about what Jonathan said was you're gonna be the next king? Is that like is that like him strengthening in the Lord? Because I could be like, you're gonna be the next king, as God said. I, I think he's strengthening the Lord in other ways, but I think he's just acknowledging he recognizes David will be the king. That is an encouraging probably <laughs> to David. But he's acknowledging that it's not gonna be Jonathan. See, Jonathan would be the crown prince. You'd think it'd be Jonathan, but he knows it'll be David, and he acknowledges that explicitly. He said, my father knows that, too. Thank you, Dad. I don't think it's a coincidence that we see that um, the closer that Jonathan, you know, the bigger role that Jonathan played in David's life, the better David's off, and he's like, my name. So I think that Jonathan really centered David in a lot of ways. Uh, this is a great statement here, and, and very encouraging to see uh, Jonathan Seeking David to do that. Is this the last time that we see Jonathan and David together? <coughs> yes. Yeah, and we haven't seen them together since they left. That's correct. Weeping along the road. Believe so. I, I can't think of another time. Kevin. I think it's interesting that while he was David was going through the trials that he was. Jonathan wasn't able to come to him. He didn't come to him. But once he made it through and started doing good again, started serving the Lord, then the Lord blessed him by sending his friend to him to encourage him. That's an interesting idea. Good. Other thoughts? Yes, Stephanie. I think it also shows, too, that we need to make sure that we are close to our Christian friends and, and take opportunities like this to get to know each other because, I mean, I have a bunch of friends that aren't Christians and I probably spend too much time with them doing stuff that isn't helpful to God's plan than I do here with the church and I think we need to build these relationships and get to know each other so we are there for each other and can build a friendship like David and Jonathan. Amen. Hebrews 3.13 is one of my theme verses. Uh, but encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The daily encouragement and the daily help so that we're not hardened by sin's deceitfulness. That's what we owe one another. That's, that's our role. We need to spend time with each other, and we need to really help each other grow stronger in the Lord. That's, our, that's, that's a tremendous uh, goal for us as Christians. 
All right. I think what we'll do is to, in a minute, take a break. Then we're going to sing. Then we'll come back and work starting in 2319. I did lose my paper, so let me just, uh, I think I may do this with a show of hands, because I don't think there'll be too many. I know about David and Carlos. Who else?